HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We're talking about the special Spiegelau Stout Glass. we got Justin Phillips from Beer Table with us. How are you doing, Justin? I'm well, thanks, Jimmy. All right, it's great to have you back on the show. So last night we sat with uh, the guys from Spiegelau, Rogue, and, and Left Hand, and we got to uh, preview the new Stout Glass. What did you think about that? It was pretty great. It was nice to see the, the second evolution of this thing. Uh, of Spiegelau beer glass, and I uh, really enjoyed the tasting. I mean, you're, you're really like one of the tastemakers in the city. You know, with your beer table, restaurant, you, you were doing things like specific glasses for, for special beers long before anyone else. So tell us a little bit what glassware means to you as, as a, a specialty beer bar owner. Uh, I've just been an experimenter with glasses and just really enjoyed trying a lot of different things with a lot of different beers and kind of enjoying the failures and the su- successes of that. So That's great. I just man. think it's really important to use good glassware and to be conscious of it, not just dump it in a bucket, as we were talking about last night. And, and Matt's from Spiegelau USA. You, you helped develop the, the IPA glass and, and now the stout glass. And uh, give us a little background on that. Uh, well, the impetus of the new glass shapes and designs is really a result of trying to match at a glass level the quality of what's being brewed in the United States currently. It's extremely high level, extremely high quality product, extremely diverse in aromas and flavors, and until we really got actively involved, there really wasn't a excellent glass to bring forth those uh, characteristics in beer. And uh, so, Matt, you worked with, with two brewers. Uh, you worked with Brett from uh, Rogue and Eric from Left Hand. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves and say a little bit about uh, the, the Stout Glass project? Yeah, the, uh, this is Brett from Rogue. The Stout Glass project for, for us at Rogue was a, was a really fun project, and it was a, it was a no-brainer when, when Matt called and asked if we were interested simply because we admired what they had done with the IPA glass, and we thought that with our stouts, we thought that uh, we could do something where uh, we make beautiful stouts, and those beautiful stouts should have a beautiful beer glass. So that was the, that was the mission. I think we, we accomplished that. 
All right, and you guys have been known as like as like rebels uh, from the beginning. You know, your, your dad founded Rogue, and you have some good friends that work there. Sebby Bueller and uh, Claire Goggins. You stole her from New York. Um, wh- what is it about about Rogue? And just tell us what you, why you guys are, are doing what you do that makes you guys different than everybody else. Yeah, I think for us, the the name Rogue defines us. It's really quite simple that way. So we we look at the world and say, if other people are already doing something, then by definition, a rogue wouldn't do it. Spiritually, I'd say that we try to appeal to the rogue that are in a lot of people out there. You you mentioned Sebby Bueller. She's the the character on the chocolate style bottle that we have. Sebby's a a rogue, and so there's a lot of people out there in the world that uh, that either are rogues or they they want to be rogues. They want to break out of the the conventional. Uh, uh, life that they might they might live. So we try to appeal to the people that uh, that want to be irreverent, that want to be rogue, that want to be part of our revolution. All right, and Eric Wallace, the the founder of uh, Left Hand Brewing in Colorado. Thanks for coming on the show. Certainly, great to be back out here. All right, so tell us a little bit more about what 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 Left Hand is and uh, why stout is such an important part of of your beer portfolio. Well, stout's an important part of our portfolio. Um, because it happened, it wasn't anything that we got into by design. I mean, when we started 20 years ago, we, we started with two beers, uh, an ESB and a, and a Scottish, basically a, a blonde Scottish ale. And um, it was after a trip to, uh, my partner took to, to Tanzania to climb Kilimanjaro. He tried a milk stout over there. We'd never seen a milk stout in the U.S. The style basically didn't really exist over here. It was going extinct. And he said, oh, I'm going to try this, try this beer. It's a milk stout. So we started working on recipes and uh, did it draft only one year seasonally. And it was a pretty successful in our a little bitty tasting room that we had at the time. Next year, we also put it into Bombers, 22-ounce bottles, and and even better. And then we've, when we finally got around, I think in 2003, maybe, putting it into six-packs, it was kind of Katie bar the door all of a sudden we couldn't it was no longer going to be a seasonal people were were raving about this beer we had no idea that a stout would grow to become over half of our total sales it it it, it's a beer that people look at it most people don't drink stout but one by one as we would hand when someone would ask for a light beer at at an event not making light beers, I would give them the nitro instead or the or the milk stout instead and prep them talking about flavor, talking about chocolate, talking about coffee. Right? Don't think about that fizzy light stuff that you, you drink at home or that whoever you live with drinks at home. Don't think about beer. Think about flavor. And using that approach, we were able to start converting all these people that didn't really drink beer. So it's it's our entry beer. It also covers the whole gamut all the way to hardcore you know beer geeks. So it was it was a surprise. We didn't do it on purpose. We just saw something happening and, and kind of fed it, and it grew into a beast. Well, that's been a big part of the, the craft beer scene, hasn't it? Is, is is I think a lot of people grew up looking at crappy macro beer and, and realizing that wow, there's flavor to it. I know that my wife always liked wine, but now she, she chooses craft beer over wine. And I think that's very cool that Speedalow is stepping in and really trying to up the game on glassware. And last night, uh, you kind of gave us a tutorial, and uh, you know you, you had the, the the pint glass. What do you call the pint glass, Matt? 
Uh, well, we have several terms for it. In our formal tastings, it's referred to as the Joker because it's the glass that we judge against. Uh, I've heard Eric call it the beer killer, and I call it just public enemy number one when it comes to beer service. It's just it's a leftover. It's it's an archaic martini shaker that found its place as the default beer glass service uh and you know it is what it is it's prevalent um we're just making baby steps in a long-term program to change people's acceptance of that as the standard um and move them into a better direction that's pretty much the goal with, with Blake, um, Brett, sorry, uh, a lot of people here today. I always get the names confused, and you guys know that. Um, Brett Joyce from Rogue. Um, does my pint glass really suck? You know, we, we had some back and forth last night about, you know, whether it's going to make the beer taste better or not. But does my pint glass really suck for beer? Yeah, I think it's kind of like if you've ever flown in first class and then you have to go back to coach on your next flight. It's like that. I mean, you don't know until you experience it. So I never would have thought that the the traditional pine glass was so inadequate to highlight the the flavors and aromas of great beers. But certainly uh, now that we've we've built this beautiful um, stout specific glass, there's no there's no going back. So the short answer is uh, yes, the traditional pine glass sucks. You know, I've, I've always tried to, to have better glassware at, at my pub, Jimmy's number 43, but, but sometimes it's hard, and often uh, customers, they look at the pine glass, and at least to them they see value because they know it's 16 ounces, and, and, and a lot of bars with specialty glasses aren't serving a full pint, and that's that's been an issue. But for you, Justin, with Beer Table, you, you were always a, a pioneer in having unique glassware. You know, what, what are some of the challenges that you face with that, and how have your customers reacted to it? I mean, certainly there's the pricing issue, but there's also just the issue of, like, you know, serving a little six ounce dainty sherry glass for a taste of something um, that I always thought was really fun and maybe kind of emasculating for some folks, but uh, in a great way. Um, and I, th- I think it's good to just put beer in a different format and make sure that it's in a glass that you can smell from. So, if like Eric at Left Hand, you guys have, have a tasting room. Um, you know, what are the types of glassware that, that you serve uh, to, to customers there? Well, it, several years ago, you know, way before I, I, I read about the, the IPA glass, we'd, we'd made a conscious decision to get away from, from the beer killer. Um, just because it, it ultimately unsatisfying drinking vessel if you're really paying attention. And we started experimenting, it's kind of like Justin, on, with different shapes for different styles. I mean, we are, always had a, a vice beer glass, kind of the classic style. We had a tall, narrow pilsner that we, that we weren't using in the tasting room, but that we had, that we sold. And we just made a decision. Look, if we really want to speak about quality and walk the walk, we've got to start leading the charge. Not differently than what the, the original wave of, of craft brewers were doing in beer. It's like we, we need to take it to the next level. So we... we um, we don't use yeah, we don't use the beer killer anymore at all. Um, Matt came in and was doing one of his seminars and he said, "Hey, I, can you you have some of these the straight sided shaker glasses?" And we had to run around to people's offices and pull them off of shelves and stuff because we don't, <laughs> we, we don't use them anymore. We, we really don't we have any. I, I had some, I had a couple from a from a brewery I'd visited in in Western North Carolina that I went and grabbed. Like, yeah, I think I have one or two in my office just for decoration purposes. So yeah, we've, we've completely eliminated it from what we do. 
And what about at Rogue? Do you have uh, any special glassware in the tasting rooms? Uh, we have some, although I have to confess we, we still do have uh, public enemy number one in, in our pubs. But, uh, but after this experience, we're, we're converted and, and we're going to change over to a, a more comprehensive glass program. But we do have a, a beautiful Pilsner glass we use for our, uh, our Morimoto Imperial Pilsner. So that's a, that's a wonderful glass, certainly the stout glass. And um, now that I've seen the light, uh, we're going to have to convert all the glasses at all of our places. So what, what is the tasting room like there? I mean, I've never been to Rogue. Our, our good friend Claire Goggins, who is a writer from New York, and has started working for you guys. I was actually in a Japanese restaurant recently, and, and I saw a beer that said soba. And I was happy to see something other than just a, like a Japanese macro beer. And I realized it was from you guys. So tell us more about these innovative beers you guys are making in your tasting room. We are, Our tasting rooms are... are are various. We have twelve pubs that we own and operate, so they're they're all a little bit different in their in their shape and layout. But fundamentally, they're places where you can go and you can experience all of our beers, thirty five different beers on tap at all of our places. So that's the key: is it's the only place you can go and have access to all the rogue beers on draft and also experience the rogue culture in our in our pubs. In terms of the the soba beer, that's been a fun project. We make three beers in conjunction with Iron Chef Morimoto. Uh, we make a, a black ob, which is kind of a, a black roasted. Uh, beer, we make an Imperial Pilsner, and we make the Sobe Ale that you talked about. So that was really uh, the chef and our brewmaster getting together and say, hey, how can I take my my culinary approach and fuse it with beer? So they came up with the idea of using uh, Soba or Buckwheat in uh, in the beers, which is a really fun, nutty, roasty beer. I mean, that was really exciting for me because I'm so used to going, to, especially in New York, there's so many great sushi restaurants, but they, they, they rarely have craft beer. So um, why do you think that more Japanese restaurants don't have uh, craft beer. Yeah, I just think it's the old school way. It's the it's a it's a real shame as as you mentioned. It's it shouldn't be simply you know sahi or uh, these traditional Sapporo Japanese beers. I mean, if you have amazing uh, Japanese food and sushi, I don't know why you wouldn't pair it with the more flavorful craft beer. Frankly, so I think it's it's just tradition. I think that's that's going to change and is changing right now. And what's the name of the the dark beer you made with Morimoto? Uh, it's called Black Obi. So it's uh, it's kind of a cousin of the soba ale made with soba, but also some darker malts to give it a, a dark flavor, dark color. Matt from Spiegel out. This this is a really great glass. I'm picking it up. Let's someone toast me so you can hear the 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 ring. I mean, this sounds like a nice wine glass, something that you would... Yes. <laughs> I bet you do that a lot, don't you? You kind of do a lot of... It's my ringtone on my phone. And I like to toast a lot, so I think that having a... This might make me want to get a Spiegelhout glass. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, this was developed for, for stout, and it's a beautiful glass, and uh, you'll tell us more about it in the show. But what about for other dark beers, like this other Morimoto dark beer from Rogue? Would, they, would all dark beers work well in this, or it's really just for stouts? Well, it was, it was developed specifically for stout, but we worked with inside a vast range of stout. So we work with not just uh, rogue and left-hand beers. Um, in our film that will be coming out describing this process, Eric points out how we use a multitude of dark beers because there's characteristics that are similar. So um, the question always persists, you know, because of there's so many different types of beer, sometimes within a, a range, including IPA, the argument would seem to follow logically that there should be a specific glass for each style of beer. Well, 
technically that's feasible, you know, but practically it's not. I mean, what we're looking at is creating a alternative that's already light years ahead of the standard. So if you're going to drink any number of dark beers in this versus whatever else is out there, it's definitely going to be improved. Um, can I say that it's specifically developed for this particular Morimoto beer? No. Um, will it be better than serving it into a pint or any a thick-walled glass or any glass that's not uh, featuring curvature for the aroma? Yes, it's certainly better. So um, I would encourage you to take any dark beer and try it in the stout glass. Well, another thing, another thing I learned last night at the tasting was I'd always, I kind of knew instinctively that a thinner glass, the beer tasted better. But tell us some of the science behind that because uh, you just you taught me something I'd never knew. Great. Well, this is the fun part. You know, this is where, where with a partnership with the breweries that we have, finally there's this reckoning where the beer maker makes the beer and the glass maker makes the glass, and there's not like the marketing people in the middle building tchotchke and confusing the public. Um, I read a lot of, you know, posts on Facebook where people think they know what they're talking about with respect to glass, and they really don't. It's, it's, it's something that we know about. And thick glass, and you'll see this a lot in posting, how does thick glass not keep beer cold? Um, it's a very counterintuitive suggestion, um, yet when you think it through, then, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, as a glass manufacturer, we know glass is an insulating material. That's what it does. And the way it insulates is it hits its equilibrium temperature-wise. So if the glass is thick, it's going to take a longer period of time and more energy to derive that Equilibrium. So if you put something cold into a thick glass, that glass is going to literally suck the heat out of the liquid. And when we're talking about beer, that's a bad thing because when you take the temperature, and I'm, I'm telling you, we have comparisons where by multiple degrees within minutes, uh, the beer is different, much warmer in a, in a thicker wall glass. The, the CO2 that would be dissolved in this liquid, in this beer, or a soft drink, or champagne, or anything, will evaporate that much more quickly as it warms up. So the thick glass, by definition, when we call it the beer killer, if it's warming your beer and making it flat, it's certainly killing the beer. Then you add the, the, the final element, which is lack of curvature, so it has no ability to hold the aroma. These types of glasses make for warm, thick, flat beer. Awesome. <laughs> we're in the offices of Night, Night Communications, a PR firm for Spiegelhaus. We're not at our typical base in Roberta's and Bushwick. So uh, instead of pizza and beer, right now we're getting coffee because it's the morning, but we are going to drink some beers. Um, I don't know what time it is right now. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, Matt's actually going to pour for us uh, one of the left-hand beers into the glass, and he's going to talk us, talk us through that. So, hey, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. So you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. 
Visit greatbrewers.com today. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Brew Seal. I'm here with Justin Phillips from Beer Table Pantry, and we're interviewing uh, Spiegelau, uh, Left Hand, and, and Rogue. All right, Justin, uh, you sat in on the uh, Spiegelau Stout Glass tasting last night. What did you think about this this unique glass and, and the beers that we tried? I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, I, I'm, I'm a fan of trying different things with different glassware, and I, I generally still approach these things with a lot of skepticism. Um, but it's great to be there and to, and to do the actual side-by-side, to put this next to a tulip and next to a, a, a pine glass and, and really, really see the differences. No, I really had a good time, too, and I'm, I've got to meet Eric Wallace, the president and founder of Left Hand Brewing Company. Eric, uh, why don't you go ahead? You're, you're going to pour for us uh, one of your beers. So tell us what you're doing, and, and we can listen on the air and, and just talk it through a little bit. I have the opener in my hand. I'm, remo- I'm removing the crown. Yeah, it's about time we got to this. <laughs> now I'm going to... It's our ta- first beer of, of the show. I'm going to take the bottle, and I'm going to completely turn it upside down and raise it as high as I can above the glass without making a mess and dump it right in. So what he's doing is this, this is the nitro milk stout in bottle. And he just poured it in, like kind of force forced it like you in, into the uh, the Spiegel stout. So first, tell us about this beer. Like, what's so special about it? Well, the milk stout was was the the base beer for the nitro, and um, we started nitrogenating kegs back in two thousand. Three, 2004, we would just do it the old school way where you just force it over a week or whatever. And um, as we as we grew a little bit, we started trying to figure out a way to actually do it more efficiently than just having a bunch of kegs on a, on a gas manifold forced carbon, uh, carbonating with, with a, a blended gas. So we played with all of these different methods, and we got better and better at it because when you mess it up badly one way, you, you, you fix that and you keep moving. So we tried it um, several different ways, and that beer really started to take off, the, just a, a nitrogenated draft milk stout. And a couple of our guys um, in inside the brewery, their package, our packaging managers, said, "Hey, we want to try to figure out if we can put this in a bottle." I said, "Great!" So we started working on it, working on it. Bought more equipment, bought more of this, bought more of that, and playing around. And they were messing around with widgets and trying all of this different stuff, but that technology still was was patented or. Um, yeah, it was protected. So, so it was like those the Guinness Nitro and cans. Yeah, yeah. It, think think Smittix, think uh, Old Speckled Hen, all those different beers that you can buy with a little little widget rattling around in it. And I said, well, let's see how close we can get without with, without that. They had found, uh, you know, that we were we were, we were playing with it, but we we weren't there and. The money was flowing out, and finally I said, let's be practical. You know, let's see how close we can actually get. So um, we, we worked on it for a couple of years. And Do you guys have a patent on it? No, we don't have a patent on it. Um, a patent would require us to tell people how we do it, <laughs> and no one's really got there yet, so we'll see how long it takes before, before someone else can get there. It's not that easy, and... Um, we're yeah we're not going to announce it to the world yet we're we're not quite ready for that 
So why did you guys, so what you did is, you did this last night at the tasting too. You, you take the stout glass, you, you hold the nitro bottle upside down, you kind of like let it pour in forcefully. I thought the whole thing was just going to like overflow. Well, if, if you did that with a, a normal carbonated beer, it, it should overflow. Um, with a, with a, a nitrogen carbon dioxide blend, nitrogen's naturally hydrophobic it doesn't go into solution easily and it comes out um pretty quickly and and it it breaks out and what the nitrogen does it gives you nucleation points for the co2 which is why you get that thicker creamier head on the on the beer it um it, it, yeah, it basically gives you a smoother uh, mouthfeel because you don't have that same carbonic bite that carbon dioxide would give you, that tingle, so it's a, a softer experience. And with the Milk Stout, that's already a, a pretty creamy beer, so it just kind of accentuates one of the, the main characteristics of, of the Milk Stout. Um, you guys at Rove, do you, I know you guys do the Shakespeare Stout and we try the Chocolate Stout. Do you guys also do a, a Nitro Stout? Uh, yeah, we do. We we offer our Shakespeare Stout on uh, on Nitro in uh, in kegs. I remember that that used to be my go to beer on, on draft for Nitro for a long time. Um, do you think, Matt? Do you think that the with the stout glass? Do you think there's a difference between CO two stouts and, and and Nitro stout, or do you think the glass handles them equally? Uh, fortunately, the glass does handle them equally. Um, this was certainly a, a, a conversation point when we were developing it. Um, I think it was in the in the last workshop when we really brought the, the nitrogen in to see um, what it, what it would do, and this profound enhancement of the mouthfeel uh, and just the appearance. And I mean, there was just like we were all wow uh, when we first saw it, how it looks, how it cascades in the glass. So yeah, we're very very happy with. With how nitrogen uh, presents in this glass. I mean, these are these are really nice glasses, and I, and you, you, we got a couple to take home, and I would love to, to to have these always. So so what do you do? You're the the top glass guy in beer in the, in the world, and you must go into bars every day and be disappointed. So what do you do? Do you bring your own glasses when you go out? As a matter of fact, I do. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a conversation that when you engage it thoughtfully with with people that own clubs and bars. I mean, I worked in the restaurant business for a long time. I owned a restaurant for a short period of time, but I mean, I understand. I, I get what some of the practical issues are. Um, but at the same time, the conversation we like to bring to people like yourself is this idea of this quality equalization across the the spectrum. So, um, if you're going to serve this great beer, why not pour it into great beer glass. If you're going to have a brewery and hire the best brewmasters and use the best ingredients, why would you not want its final point of conveyance to your customer being the best possible glass rather than the worst? So, you know, I, I talk to chefs, I'm like, like, well, they're too expensive. I'm like, well, you know, you serve arugula instead of iceberg lettuce. You know, you're not you're serving rack of lamb and you have it on, on a, a Villaroyne Boff plate rather than a paper plate. You know, you want to save money. There's ways to save money. So we really just try to say keep your quality equal across what you're trying to do. And then it matches your your ethos, your operating ethos, which is excellence. And that's what we bring. Brett, you guys at Rogue, you guys have uh, really set a culture there, Rogue Nation. But, but tell us about your brewer because he's been with you a long time. And he, he must be really important in, in, in the whole brewery. Yeah, no question. We've had the same brewer, John Meyer, for 25 years. So that's that's pretty special. Uh, John's 
John's a wonderful guy, a very talented brewer. Uh, he's won over a thousand awards over his 25 years for um, over 60 different styles of beer. So certainly, we're fortunate to have him. And really, the way the way we operate at Rogue is, uh, I don't tell John what to do, what kind of beer to make. He decides what kind of beer to make, what's in it. Uh, there's no limit on the uh, amount of hops or malts that he uses. He kind of makes it and says, "Here it is." And then we figure it's it's our job to figure out how to go out and. Uh, and sell his beers, basically. And then you, you guys also do you grow grain or, or hops or anything like that? Yeah, we do. We have a, we have our own farms. We grow seven varieties of our own hops at our hop farm. We have two varieties of barley that we grow. We also grow other crops like uh, pumpkin and rye and jalapenos that we also use in our our beers. And we're also beginning to uh, to grow some botanicals that we're going to use in our gin. Um, and so we do spirits as well. So there's crossover between our, our farming uh, into both our spirits and our, our beers. So like, what role does the brewer have in, in determining and working with the farms? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's John's, especially on the, the hops, it's really John saying, these are the hops that I, I want to have more access to. So, uh, so John was, was critical in, in that. And then the other, the other crops uh, just pop up as we have ideas. I mean, if... Uh, uh, John looks at the world and says, hey, I've, I've not done a pumpkin beer before. What if we had our own pumpkins? Wouldn't that be something fun to do? So uh, so John was the, the genius behind the beer called Pumpkin Patch Ale, where we take our own pumpkins directly from our farm, harvest them, drive them to the brewery about an hour away, roast them in uh, pizza ovens, and throw them right in the brew kettle. So it's like the freshest pumpkin beer you can possibly have. So it's, it's fun things like that that, uh, that the farm inspires us to do. Well, that's great. But you still also have to buy grain and hops from other places as well. Yeah, we do. We're not 100 uh, percent, you know, self-sustained. That was never that was never the goal. But uh, but the crops have been pretty pretty hardy. So the the hops are now about 40 percent of our annual hops we grow ourselves, and about 15 16 percent of our annual barley usage we grow ourselves. And what about like, community involvement? So I, I know you guys are both important breweries in your states and your regions. Um, you know, tell us about some of the things that, that you're doing and, and how you value yourselves and your community as brewers. Because you know, the old days, brewers were often the mayor of their town, and we know that uh, the wine coop owner is now the governor of, of Colorado. So why don't you guys weigh in on you know, community involvement, the role of breweries uh, in the community? Strangely enough, um, the mayor of our town is a brewer from the uh, local <laughs> brew pub. So, yes, uh, that, that seems to be a theme. Um, from the very beginning, and, and for me personally, I, was, I grew up as an Air Force brat, and then I was in the Air Force for 12-plus for years. So I didn't have a hometown, and when we decided to live in Longmont, this, that was going to be our hometown. That's where all three of my kids were born. We've been there since we, we moved back to the States from Italy in 93. And we wanted to get involved, get engaged, so we joined the chamber. We participated in events. We, we would donate to, to fundraisers, and that's blossomed. And we have a, a, a guy whose full-time job is our large fundraising events and community liaison. Um, a lot of people out there probably have run into him, Josh Goldberg. Yeah. Sounds like a good job. It's a, it's a, I think it's a great job. We basically looked at him and said, this job was made for you. Uh, you need to do this job. And so we, we run a lot of, of huge fundraisers. For example, um, we took over, we participated in the local Oktoberfest for many years. It was a fundraiser for our, our symphony. Um, and they used to run it. Their guild would run it, and we would participate. And as the guild aged, and it was a lot of heavy lifting, um, they, they hired a, a 
a production company to do this thing, and those guys basically tried to kill the event. They were taking all the cash out, and they weren't leaving any back in our town. And I was... You, you could say gently and, and politely, I was outraged. Um, and if the recorder wasn't on, I would use other words. Um, and we took the event over and basically resuscitated it. And we r- ran it last year um, for, the, for the second time. And ironically, it was four days after we were able to return to the brewery and start cleaning up after the massive floods that we had. And we converted this huge local fundraiser into a flood relief fundraiser and party. And uh, a lot of people showed up. We got a lot of support from the community and from local businesses and netted over 70 grand to immediate flood relief for local Meals on Wheels that had been feeding thousands of people. They provided thousands of meals for people that had been evacuated from Lyons in the, the local mountain towns and in Longmont and other towns in our area. So but you guys got lucky, didn't you, during the flood? We took a grazing blow. We, we got away with uh, some, somewhere between 80 and 100 grand worth of damage, I think, in the end. We lost some beer. We lost a lot of outbuildings, our lab. Um, our fence line was completely disappeared, basically, in places. So, And there was mud everywhere. But a, a couple more inches, basically another inch, and we would have had water in all three of our main buildings. Like I said, we were completely surrounded for... Uh, for, and evacuated for for four days. So there's there's a there's a story here. I know that when there was a tsunami in Japan a few years ago, our, our friends at Hitachino, they, they were lucky that that they survived and they, they converted uh, their bottling system. Uh, they made water bottled water for the community because they had they had a well and they had a bottling system, and and you guys were able you survived and you were able to uh, rally for your community. So what I'm getting at is, what do you think the role of the brewer is, and and why is it important that you have local and regional breweries rather than, you know, having macro ownership or stuff like that. Now, beer builds community. Um, when we opened our tasting room, our idea was create a, a local pub. And if you're going to build community, you gotta you got to partake. you got to participate. And you got to give to receive. And I, I think it's a natural function for a brewery to... To get involved and, and help and supporting fundraisers, we have beer. Even if even if we're only providing you know two for one or half price beer, that's better than you can get going out and buying it you know retail and anything you can do to to make a contribution. You're having a silent auction. You want your your people that are bidding to have a couple beers in them, right? <laughs> and it just makes things work better. It loosens people up and it gets them talking to one another. How many people in your town do you employ? We've got 90 now, 90 full-time employees. So it makes you make a difference in your community. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a several-million-dollar payroll. So, yeah, it, it does make a difference, and we love it when our guys and gals get married and have kids and get a mortgage and buy a house. And, you know, they that's what you want because then then they're building community at the same time, and we're helping helping make that happen. You know, when you guys do high fives because it's left hand, do you high five with your right hand or your left hand? Both, man. Let me see. Right left hand high five. Right hand <laughs> All right, let's toast these uh, Spiegelau stout glasses. Uh, we got Justin Phillips, Matt from Spiegelau, Rogue, and Those left hand. All right. Those <laughs> yeah. What are we drinking before we sign off? Tell us about your beer one more time. Nitro. I think we're going to have to have a nitro milk stout, and I think we're going to have to cheers with a, with a Rogue chocolate stout. All right. Well, let's, let's take a short break. Well, thanks to our sponsors, greatbrewers.com. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. 
Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're doing a special recording with Left Hand Rogue and Spiegel Out. And you guys are talking, you just filled up uh, the Spiegel Out Stout Glass uh, with some of the Rogue Chocolate Stout. What, what were you saying about that, Eric? We were, t- we were talking about how the, the glass, um, and Matt can talk technically better about it than I, but the glass, when you, when you cheers with it, when it's got beer in it, you can actually feel the flex in the glass. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 a solid liquid is what it is, basically. That's a full glass and, toast, and it, you can basically feel the bend. Now, I wouldn't do it too vigorously because it will it will break, but they're surprisingly strong and robust. So the joke is, if, if you made unbreakable glasses, you'd be out of business, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mentioned that last night's event. I'm like, Spiegel is a 500 year old company from Bavaria, Germany. We make. You know, very high-grade, commercial-grade glass. We serve some of the top restaurants and hotels around the world. Um, I said we wouldn't be in business for 500 years if we made unbreakable glass, but it's extremely durable. It's dishwasher-safe. You know, a place that comes to mind, people are like, oh, it's delicate. Well, I'm like, well, these glasses are being used at uh, both of these breweries, certainly at Dogfish, certainly at Sierra Nevada for the IPA. Um, But my friend Chris Black in Denver at the Falling Rock Tap Room comes to mind is one of these Rock'em Sock'em craft beer bars that uses Spiegel Owl on a daily basis and he was one of the original skeptics you know but now he puts our logo on his menu i'm like totally flattered because when i first showed up there he's looking at me like i have three heads now he uses them every day you also have other like kind of i wouldn't say generic but but typical beer glass styles as well don't you yes the the the, we started this before we moved into the workshop process and making beer specific styles we had four glasses of a range of what we called beer classics and this was a new take on what you would consider a classic shape so a hefeweizen glass as we understand it uh, to look but minus all the weight so we implied this thin glass um, thinking so our hefeweizen glass has almost no weight on the sham when you get a logoed glass from a brewery it's going to be almost a three pound piece of glass uh, a weapon Uh, we make a tulip glass that is um, beautiful extremely thin very very versatile for Belgian style ales but again it's derivative of a classic shape that people understand Similar with our lager glass, it's a, was a you look at a typical German Helles lager glass. This is our twist on it. So they all have a bit of a twist. And then we have uh, one other non-workshop glass called the Tall Pilsner. Uh, it's a huge favorite with people just because it's a flute. Um, it just has beautiful light. It makes lighter beers like Colch styles look really really nice. And then tell us about a few other places around the country, bars, hotels that that are regularly serving Spiegelau glassware for beer. Um, well, hopefully we're going to go visit one this afternoon. Uh, I think of a Michelin three-star restaurant. It, it's not not just Michelin three stars, but that's the spectrum from the from the Falling Rock Tap Room in Denver to Eleven Madison Park in New York City, uh, which we hope to visit this afternoon because you'll see this unbelievable wine list, and then you'll see a twelve-page craft beer list attached to it as well, which didn't exist a couple of years ago. Uh, Gramercy Tavern in New York comes to mind. Uh, the Nomad Hotel, uh, where we hosted our IPA event, all Spiegelau, the Cosmopolitan Hotel, if you ever want to go throw some dice in Las Vegas in a nice place. Um, we do all of the uh, Peninsula Hotels 
Four Seasons, places like that. I mean, yes, high end, but it's getting broader acceptance because of the beer. That's great to know about other places we can get your glassware. Hey, um, Brett, uh, we're drinking the chocolate stout from Rogue. You want to tell us a little bit about that beer? Yeah, sure. Um, happy to. There's uh, Sebi Bueller on the the bottle. Your your good friend, our good friend, a long time, nineteen twenty year rogue. Uh, the beer, the the base of chocolate stout is our Shakespeare oatmeal stout, and then we take the the Shakespeare oatmeal stout and infuse it with a Dutch chocolate. So the the beer has, as you smell it, you get the a big huge whiff of chocolate, especially in the Spiegelau stout glass. And then as you as you drink the beer, you get the 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 smoothness to come from the oatmeal you get the the big malty flavor from the um from the shakespeare stout and then the the chocolate is kind of the finish you get the the chocolate at the end um which is really the star of the show is the is the chocolate in this and then um eric and brett could you guys just you know you you both making stouts at left hand and rogue would you, would you guys care to comment on perhaps stylistic differences that that are like left hand has a certain style of stout versus rogues um, I, we both make quite a, a variety of, of stouts, um, so I don't know if we can characterize anything in general. What we say about left hand is we're trying to make complex yet balanced beers, so they have a, a great drinkability, whether it's a, a 6% stout or a 6.8% porter or a 10.2% uh, Wake of Dead Imperial stout. I mean, those That's a wide range of stuff right there, and then we have a smoked Imperial porter. We do some barrel aging on a limited basis of, of some of our darker beers also, so um, we're always striving for the right balance, you know, even though a beer might be really hefty. Um, it's you, a beer's made to drink. And Brett, what about the, the rogue approach? Yeah, I think our approach is, is very similar to what Eric described for left hand. We we also make an imperial stout. We also have a barrel aged stout. We make a mocha porter. So we've always uh, done a wide range of dark beers. Uh, I think that stouts in general are kind of discriminated against. I think people are are scared of stouts just because of the color oftentimes, especially people that are new to craft. And I just want everyone out there to, to not be afraid of, of darker beers because oftentimes it's actually the inverse of what you might expect. A darker beer can be smoother, can be more drinkable despite its color than a lighter beer. I mean, an IPA, you could argue, is, is much more bitter typically than a, a stout might be. So, uh, you know, give stout a chance. And, and I also want to take the, you know, the myth away from people only drink stouts in, in the winter i think stouts uh it's a great year-round style so i drink stouts in the summer as well as in the winter months why do you think people associate a, a stout or a nitro stout with that kind of pint glass or english pint glass how do you think that, that developed uh, matt well it's it's been the historical service i mean you know certainly you go to the uk and you order a stout this is how it's going to come often more in this more nonic pint style um you know it's been the the tradition so that's what it is and again it, it's not to say that because it's been that way that it's horrible it's been that way because there wasn't an alternative um now we're just you know gradually introducing this alternative and trying to raise people's awareness and and as brett pointed out there's so many preconceived notions that people have incorrectly um that stout's overly heavy that it's impenetrable that it's a seasonal beer you know those those whole conversations need to be dismissed let alone uh, the glass service question. So it's tradition, but traditions change. And Justin, um, you, you sat in on the 
the release of the Spiegel Out IPA glass, and now, and now you're here with the Stout glass. Um, do you want to comment on the difference or the experience from your end? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, there are some similarities that you can see between the two uh, in terms of just like the basic inverted cone or whatever you call the base of the stem of this thing. Um, but they they are different, and I think last time I, I left maybe uh, not as convinced as, as I am this time, so it's good. Um, you know, I, 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 I enjoyed it, and, you know, I haven't spent the last year putting it into service or anything, but um, um, I'm liking how it's developing, and, I, and I'm, I'm a believer in it now. Justin, one thing I always liked about Beer Table is that I would find beers at your place that I wish I had carried at Jimmy's number 43. I know your background was you work for Be United, the importer. What are some uh, uh, European stouts that, that you could recommend to our listeners that are, that are hard to get but that you would serve at Beer Table? Um, European stouts that are hard to get. I mean, that, I, actually, off the top of my head, I can't think of too many. I can't believe if I, I, can't believe if I stump you. The Vinci, the Vinci stout. Um, from Ducato, yeah, that's a great one with the with the chili pepper. Really, really nice. Um, Thornbridge, Thornbridge for sure from England um, makes a beautiful uh, Saint Petersburg. It's great, not super strong. It's about eight percent, but it's a it's a really nice imperial stout. Maybe like De La Sen, Stout Eric. Uh, oh yeah, some yeah. Stout Eric. Yeah, that's they, they De La Sen makes some great beer, um, and and I've actually had some of their beers. I've blended uh, a, a Cantillon that I had with with the. The, they're stout, and it's really, really a cool combination. So there's a lot, plenty. Yeah, of and I, I think there's a, there's a lot of great Belgian styles, again, that, that aren't too strong. And um, and also Italy, Birda del Borgo, they have a nice stout, an oyster stout. Um, anything that, that you can think of, Brett, for, for, for stouts besides Rogue and Left Hand? Uh, you mean like favorite styles of mine? Yeah, from the world or from the country? Uh, I love Bells. Bells makes to me um, amazing, amazing stouts. Um, I think the the dogfish, the worldwide stout, I like that. There's it's so hard to choose, but there's there's some uh, there's some amazing stouts out there. But those are a couple a couple favorites. And I, I also I point people towards a Belgian too. There's, I think there's a great kind of Belgian stout tradition. A few years ago, I started realizing that what you guys are saying is true. That dark beers can be refreshing, and, and I would do a theme like you know dark beers for summer. And many of them were Belgian stouts. And I'm always amazed that when I look at the ABV on some, some English stouts like the Young's Double Chocolate, it's only like three and a half percent alcohol. So so it is deceptive. I mean, the, on the the other side, I've seen some of the macro macro brands doing like black beers. You know, but there's so many great traditions, Dunkel Lagers and, 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 and Schwartz beers. So um, maybe we can change people's per- perception. I think you guys are doing that. I mean, this this chocolate stuff is very refreshing, and uh, it's nice to sit here and, and drink with you guys your beers, which is one thing we get to do on our show. Um, I've got a couple more questions. Um, you know, Left Hand is known for their, their milk, their nitro milk stout, and it's a far more classical style th- than Rogue's. Um, did you guys develop the glass more for a frothy, airy stout like nitro? or more robust, inky stouts like Rogues? These are some written questions we had. We kind of answered that, but what do you think, Matt, again? Well, it's important to the audience to understand that this was a long process. This involved three separate workshops. We went through a standard uh, flight of glass from our library, and then once we derived a a finalist from that, then we got into the handmade prototypes. All of them were uh, varying degrees, and I I tell people in in glass design and the way the the functionality is conveyed, millimeters are like miles when we're talking about what type of nuanced differences beers can present. 
Um, certainly, uh, uh, Brett and his team and Eric and his team gave a great deal of attention uh, through this process, but ultimately, it was about just trying to get the best overall glass for this vast category. Um, so, you know, we, we touched on this earlier. The idea was to use nitrogen to use uh, uh, normally carbonated uh, beers in, in the process and, and try to get the best aggregate glass out of the process, which I think we did. We had, yeah, from dry stouts, sweet stouts, imperial stouts. Yeah. I mean, we, we covered quite, you know, quite a wide range. Including and, and English from, you know, we did some Youngs, I do believe. Yeah. Um, we, mixed and, it, we mixed it up quite a bit to make sure that we were getting in the zone and and uh, trying to be fair, you know, using using uh, yeah six, eight eight different breweries, beers probably through the process. And we like used that. Anderson Valley. Yeah. So we tried to make it not about left-hander about rogue was really how do we build the best stout glass to kind of encompass the whole universe of stout so that was that was the mission i think we did a good job of uh, accomplishing some, that. some breck and some deschutes mm-hmm. and you mentioned uh young's we had some, uh, quite a right quite a range Coast, old yep yep that's a good one I haven't had that in a while that also comes on nitro too doesn't it sometimes it does on draft so, um, since you guys are here in New York City, um, what are some places you're looking forward to trying? You know, there's great food in New York and bars. Um, I'm sure, I, Sarah, you can say, if you've got an itinerary, I know you guys You guys are on a tight leash. First of all, thanks to our sponsor, greatbrewers.com. And I know they're taking you around the city. You're, gonna, you're meeting with media. But what, what are some of the places you'd really like to try uh, on your own in New York? And, Sarah, you can weigh in, too, if you want. We've, um, I know we're going to Top Ops this evening, and we are, um, we're going to go to the Jeffrey later this evening so that we can close it down in style. Um, we were at the Ginger Man yesterday. Um, we were also at Stout for the for the event that you guys were at. Um, you've got something at the Ginger Man tonight. Yeah, we're at the Ginger Man tonight. Uh, I had two pieces of great pizza last night about 1 o'clock. $2.50 for two pieces of pizza? Are you kidding me? It was unbelievable. But for me, I love New York. If I could have like three dinners a night, I would. Um, Morimoto has a restaurant here, which I, I love. Um, we're talking about maybe going to Momofuku tonight. Um, I'm excited to go to Eleven Madison Park. I've never been there before, but heard a lot about it. So uh, the food scene here, as you guys know, is is unbelievable. And Justin, you as as a owner of a great place in New York, what are some places you recommend to them that are off the beaten path where they could get good food and good beer? Um, yeah, I mean, new stuff that you could check out. Definitely the Gotham Market um, is interesting, and there are a lot of great restaurants that have sort of like a second location in Cannibals over there. That's that's a good one. Um, I have to think for a second about other ideas. Come back to me. Cannibal, yeah. Right near our showroom, and it's great because I've got, you know, Italy and Beer across the street, and we've got Nomad, we've got Eleven Madison Park, and Cannibal and Resto all within a stone's throw of when I'm here for work, so it's great. I love that. And I'm going to pitch for the Lower East Side if you guys are here. Right now, there's seven uh, East Village Lower East Side bars doing Liquid Lent, inspired by the blogger that lived for. 40 days on beer alone. Uh, there's a couple great places to try out. First, a big shout out to Malton Mold in the Lower East Side. He's got a great little shop. He's, it, it's, it's a bottle shop and grocery store. He's doing tastings for, for, the, for the rest of Lent. Next door to him is Eastwood, another great little uh, beer bar restaurant on Avenue C. There's ABC Beer Company. Again, it's a hybrid where there's a shop in front and uh, a bar in the back, and they always have food and classes. So those are three really great places. And uh, also my place, Jimmy's number 43. We've always got you know some good beers on 
on tap and food. So um, it's really great having you guys here. I really appreciate it. Thanks to our sponsors, GreatBrewers.com, who you guys know and actually distributes uh, Left Hand and Rogue in, in, in much of, of the country. Um, thanks again, Justin Phillips from uh, Beer Table. Looking forward to exciting news on the, on the horizon with you. Matt from Spiegelau, Brett from Rogue, and, and Eric from Left Hand. Thanks for joining me. Thanks to our producers, uh, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and our engineer and producer, uh, Jack Kinsley. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.